Hello and welcome back to Movie Remake Time, the Filmmaker's Compass podcast where we take a look at sequels, reboots, and remakes and ask the very simple question, who did it better? I'm CP, this is my co-host D-Man. D-Man, the world has Batman on the brain. Yes, they do. And we're about to talk about Batman with nipples. That's exactly where this podcast is going. We're taking a look back at the Joel Schumacher Batman era and comparing Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. I'm pretty excited if you want to give a little details about the films, kind of preface the transition from Tim Burton into Joel Schumacher and, and kind of get us up to date on, you know, what what, what happened? <laughs> I mean, it's really fascinating. The first one is Batman Forever, 1995. And then, of course, we got, well, the Bane of... <laughs> that's a fun <laughs> well right there. The Bane of existence <laughs> of comic book movies... Batman and Robin from 1997. Both of these are directed by Joel Schumacher, produced by Tim Burton, and Batman films starring two very different actors in the role of Batman, each in one movie, Val Kilmer in Batman Forever and George Clooney in Batman and Robin. They got a uh, great ensemble of villains here. So we have Jim Carrey as the Riddler. We have Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face. We have Uma Thurman as... Poison Ivy and Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. So, and I don't know who played Bane, uh, but (laughs) (laughs) some of the biggest actors in the world in the nineties, when these movies were made legitimate movie stars all around. Yeah. So we also have Chris O'Donnell as Robin and Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl. Yep. So, or Alfred's niece. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. So yeah, quite a cast. I mean, there's no denying that Hollywood brought out its A-game for these Batman movies. And it is saying something, you know, after Batman with Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer and all that, they had a great run. And then we transition into this much more colorful, stylized uh, (laughs) street gangs, you know, like motorcycle gangs and all kinds of stuff. What's funny, though, is it's worth acknowledging Michael Keaton had agreed to come back as Batman for a third movie, but only under the condition that Tim Burton was directing. And he only agreed to produce, so they ended up moving on from Michael Keaton. I want to say with Val Kilmer, they really didn't miss the mark. I thought he did pretty good, generally speaking. I kind of liked him as Bruce Wayne. He was a little bit more adult, like proper Bruce Wayne. You know, he was tuxedoed up. And yeah, Yeah. like they showed him on the job a little bit, which was kind of cool, because in Batman and Batman Returns, we don't really ever see Bruce Wayne at Wayne Enterprises or anything like that. And so it was kind of a a nice transition i thought i thought it worked kind of well clearly schumacher is doing something very different than what burton did in these films and but before like i just want to be upfront with you and the audience i always be upfront with me i have a little (laughs) bit of a bias here i believe i've told you this story before i remember when i was a kid and i saw the trailer for the batman forever movie i remember i turned to my best friend and i said that looks like the greatest movie ever made well you'd seen star wars right once upon a, <laughs> I had once upon as a child <laughs> i remember that batman forever was in fact for a definitive period of time my favorite movie ever made definitive amount of time are we talking like you know a year or like 10 seconds like like you, a, like a year oh okay <laughs> came to your senses pretty fast You're like, oh you know what um, it, it wasn't that cool. audience i have a bias here i want you to know this Like going into this conversation, I am jaded. 
Point is, Schumacher did something totally different than Burton did. I think it's really weird. We've talked about this. And on our last episode, Tim Burton was not a fan of comic books in general. Joel Schumacher, on the other hand, was. He was a huge Batman fan, very immersed in the history and the literature and the culture of Batman. That was part of his motivation for wanting to do these films. As a result, his take is kind of a twist of what Burton had done cinematically, trying to pull in some of the lighter, more comedic elements of the Adam West era Batman. I mean, you think these. the most famous thing from that era is like when he would punch people and it's like pow with the yeah. music and it's like. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't quite go to those extremes. You know, obviously the villains here are a lot more comically zany, especially you see like these takes on Two-Face and the Riddler. You know, he has like a question mark cane and he's like throwing his hands in the air and you have Two-Face who's just super exaggerated in his motions, even in his, the way he talks comparatively to to the previous iterate, you know, Batman and Batman Returns, where we're looking at, you know, very dark, you know, I think the penguin was like oozing black blood and like, you know, yeah, yeah. he was gross. He's like eating raw fish and biting people. And you're like, this, this guy's a weirdo. Yeah. It's almost yeah, it's like these actors are playing for the stage instead of film. They're just so big and animated and eccentric. Very much a shift from what we've seen before. I agree. I think it does remind me of that like Adam West Batman era and those villains. Like who was the Joker? Was it like Cesar Romero? Or, yes. You know, they, they had a, a great cast of villains for that. Maybe we'll even get on here and do a total rewind on Batman the movie from way back in the day, which was actually pretty cool. I remember all the villains like on a submarine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We should. That would be fun. Yeah, they, the villains, they seem much more in the vein of that era of Batman rather than, you know, this kind of darker take. I think it works to mixed results. They're definitely memorable, which is a positive. They made their mark, right? Yeah. All of them, even Mr. Freeze and all his puns. Ugh. They're memorable. I, there's, there's no way that, like, hey, love it or hate it. If you've seen Batman and Robin, you remember Arnold as Mr. Freeze. You just can't true, forget it. So, you know, there's there's that element that works, but it also, you know, I think a lot of times it undermines kind of dramatic elements of Batman's story arc and what they're actually kind of going for. Because at the end, you know, it's more like just stop the villain, just stop the crazy guy. They don't tie into these greater themes and they're not really playing around with elements the way that maybe the original Batman or like the Dark Knight do. And which is why those are held in such high regard. But in this one, you know, it's kind of like Mr. Freeze is going to like use diamond and freeze all of Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, we just got to stop them, you know, and you're like, okay, I guess it's, you know, it's that simple. That's that's what the movie's really about. You know, Batman and Robin. I mean, the, the, the plot of the movie is getting everybody on the same page. So they'll team up at the end, basically. Very you know, that is the that is the plot. And then the villains have what they want to do. But then it's like, just stop them. Another difference is is Batman and these Batman villains have more tech and it's more it's almost it's almost bondish. Yeah. Batman is almost like a James Bond character with the gadgets and his villains all have these diabolical destroy the world plot lines that, you know, it's the scope of the film shifted so much from the previous where it was grounded. Do things here that are a little bit, you know, kind of stock, it felt like where, for instance, I think in both movies, they have those shots of like Batman putting his gear on, you know, like oh, like clicking the, his belt. The posing like, ones. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. like the posing and then he like flips his cape around. And then I think in Batman and Robin, it like shows his butt. Yeah. Ugh. You know, things like that where I was like, ah, mm. Robin. got the vibe that that's supposed to be the moment, right? Where like we should be getting amped up, but it was more comical than it was like, yes, there's, 
it walks this line between being funny and cool and being just cringeworthy. I mean, I always think about there's a sequence that in the right hands could have been one of the most epic Batman movie sequences that you can imagine. Towards the end of Batman Forever, the Riddler has commandeered the bat signal in the sky and turned it into a question mark. Gordon's are getting ready to turn oh, it yeah. off because he doesn't think Batman's coming. And all of a sudden the bat wing bursts through the cloud and dissipates the Riddler. And you're like, this is awesome. And then Batman just in the bat wing turns and thumbs up to Gordon. <laughs> and it's just, you're like, oh, it's like straight out of a Van Damme movie, man. That was amazing. I mean, and can we also acknowledge, I know Bruce Wayne is a billionaire. I didn't realize he had unlimited credit. His Batman credit card is good through forever. forever. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh. I'm like, you know, some of the, yeah, the cringeworthy moments, like I think in Batman and Robin, Batman and Robin literally fall on their backs when they're on ice and they click their feet and all of a sudden they have ice skates. Yes. <laughs> you know, and then they start ice skating around and playing hockey with, with a diamond as a puck. Yeah. And I was like, what is happening? Oh. So, Oh, but in a lot of ways, I do have to give, you know, a little tip of the cap. For whatever reason, I am just glad that we have it. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes, you know, we might be hanging out on an evening. It's like, hey, you know, let's open a bottle of wine and let's have a laugh and put on Batman and Robin. I don't know. I had the action figures as a kid, right? I had the toy play sets. I mean, I liked oh. the movie as a kid. That's something the else. Toy I lines were great. I think these movies maybe were geared more towards kids. Especially compared to like the Burton one, which had much more darker undertones. I mean, we have Robin saying, holy rusty metal Batman. This is clearly for a different type crowd. Yeah, like I got the vibe that this was much more, like I remember being a kid and it was more fun. Even though Batman was always still my favorite, it was fun. It didn't feel like it had these adult vibes of dealing with crime and the underworld. And you think of the Penguin's origin story. It's like dark, like his parents like threw him down a river he was disfigured yeah. you're like that's like really dark very true very true and they don't yeah they don't really do all that here instead about like these were the movies that it was like hey we can finally get batman toys in a happy meal yeah. you know true and like very true. it'll work I felt like that that transformation where it was like hey you know not only do we make oh hey I, also i wanted to know i didn't realize this but on the last episode we were talking about batman 1989 i brought up i said it was a pepsi commercial it's actually diet coke i went and looked it up <laughs> well, thank you for so. Well, actually, yourselves. Anthony, my friend who loves Batman, he listened to the episode. And he's the one who pointed it out to me. I went to YouTube and I was like, "All right, I gotta verify." It ends up it's Diet Coke, and they even do the song at the end, the Diet Coke jingle from like back in the day. And they're like Diet Coke. Sorry, tangent. <laughs> but yeah, this felt like okay. So back then they have a Batman commercial, but like Diet Coke is Diet Coke. But now it feels like they're gonna put Batman's face on the Coke can. That's the type of Batman we're getting. He's like, you can market this all over because really it's it's going towards a different audience. It's going towards kids. Yeah. To that end, I think it worked. I liked it as a kid, and I still like it now for nostalgia and laughs. <laughs> when you hold it up against all the great Batman movies we have now, yeah. So these are the bottom ones, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's really easy to get overcritical. There's some things that they do right. These are the only Batman films to really delve into the character of Robin, which probably is part of the reason why most people don't like them. I actually think that in Forever, the origin story is they do a great job of the juxtaposition between Batman's origin, you know, becoming an orphan, him being in a position where had he revealed his identity, he could have prevented someone else from becoming an orphan. And so Batman wrangling with that guilt decides to bring on Robin. Now, as you said, one of the problems is all the other stuff kind of 
detracts from that. But I think as a story, it's actually really, really well done in that film. I also want to give a nod to that scene where Robin becomes an orphan. To Joel Schumacher's credit here, I mean, you did feel bad. You were like, ooh, that sucks. I, don't, I, I was going to ask you, is that his being a part of like a family circus and all that? Is that his comic book origin for Dick Grayson? Yeah, I don't really remember. I didn't know if that was, you know, made up for the movie or if that was drawing on a specific character biography from the comics. Just kind of curious. Yeah, I thought it I worked pretty well. I mean, the whole like being a part of a circus, I thought did lend itself to some of the acrobatics and his ability to be Robin. Yeah. So it wasn't just that he was just some kid and his parents were in a car accident and now he fights crime. It was like, yeah. it actually explained a little bit. It doesn't mean you're going to be an excellent fighter, but he should be able then to use the, the grappling hook and be comfortable doing that stuff. Yeah. So I thought that kind of fit well. I liked they kind of give him a personal adversary in Two-Face. Yeah, I think that's a great way. And he has the moment at the end of the film where he doesn't follow through with his vengeance and plans to and takes the road of being a true hero. Yeah, but then karma comes in anyway. Every time. <laughs> Just make the right call. It'll work itself out. <laughs> Overall, story-wise, I think that relationship between Batman and Robin is the core of Batman Forever. Even though there's Nicole Kidman there with, damn, this cast was amazing. They mm-hmm. kind of get into this love story. I didn't really think that worked all that well. Seems I mean, it felt forced. kind of like, yeah, it felt more like studio execs were like, I mean, you got to have a love story. One's got to be in there. The core of the movie is Batman and Robin, which is ironic because that's the title of the next movie. I think that's the engine that really makes it work. I think Robin's drive for revenge and vengeance and all that is great because it leans into Batman's own history and his own experiences and, and yeah. tr- you know, trying to guide Robin and be like, hey, I mean, I know I if anyone knows, yeah. it's me I'm telling you it won't help. So if you flip it over, like I said, I mean, Batman and Robin, then the main storyline is basic bringing Alicia Silverstone on board and getting that team up moment. I mean, I can't. Is there really any other story? I mean, there's the Alfred thing, which can we acknowledge really quick? I kind of want your opinion here real quick before we move into the storyline for Batman and Robin. Alfred and Commissioner Gordon are the same characters from Batman and Batman Returns. So is this the same shared world? Yes, it actually is supposed to be the same universe, the same timeline in the, in the in the greater DC universe this is. This is supposed to be one world. Just to clarify. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you get into the storyline for Batman and Robin. I found it to be pretty weak overall. They're repeating the Robin story, I thought, from Batman Forever and just kind of passing Batman's role onto Robin, Robin's role onto Batgirl. The villains are so comical and, and buffoonish that one of my complaints is Mr. Freeze is such a complicated character with such great motivation as a villain. Look at the animated film Sub-Zero, like done so well. In this movie, Batman and Robin, it is atrocious. He's a joke. None of the motivations are there. His story is watered down and polluted with this Bane storyline and this Poison Ivy storyline. And yeah, it's a real shame. Can we also acknowledge, I don't know why, again, there's the essence of a love story that feels forced, but for some reason, they're trying to force this love triangle between Poison Ivy, Batman, and Robin. To me, the reason it doesn't work is because Poison Ivy keeps blowing this love. Yeah, Yeah, pheromone or whatever. And so it doesn't, it's not real. 
You know, like it's well that and every not- conversation between Batman and Robin is about how Robin thinks Batman's jealous that Poison Ivy loves him more. And I'm just like, quit being a bitch, dude. This is no, stupid. I know. Like you, you know, you just can't stand it that somebody <laughs> would like me more. You know, to me, there's something about that storyline because she's like doing the love pheromone. I'm like, it's not honest dialogue. That's not yeah. how they really feel. And so it feels contrived. You know, she's I mean, she is messing with them, but I'm like, it just seems like Batman, Batman fell for this. I can't believe that. He's Batman. I mean, I, I just he I'm started not giving away his money. Now, no, granted, he has that much money that he can. I'm not buying to it. him. You know, a drop in the bucket. But still, <laughs> it's like I just could not get on board with that as a, a serious storyline, as taking it serious. Just didn't really care for it. The whole Alicia Silverstone coming in because Alfred got sick or whatever kind of works. It felt more like they were like, hey, target audiences want to see like a female superhero. And you're like, okay, write that in there. Yeah. Rather than being earned of its own right. And yeah, like it felt derivative of Robin's story from Batman Forever. I was like, ah, we we just watched that and it kind of worked. And now you ruined it. I think Joel was trying to do something visually to differentiate himself from Tim Burton. The art direction of the film, you know, the color palette is much brighter. There's smoke, there's neon lights and black lights and gigantic statues everywhere. It's different. Yeah. But then in Batman and Robin, it's almost like he's trying to parody Batman forever and just go to the extreme. There's projections everywhere. And it's like almost too much for you to process as an audience. It's just so outlandish and unrealistic yeah it almost does become cartoonish like at one point i think robin like he like falls into water and mr freeze freezes it and like robin's literally like frozen and then batman just like pulls out a thing and is like i'll fall like i don't think that's how that works like that would just like create a little hole and like go like (laughs) thing like glows i was like "Ah, this is very cartoonish can i bring up one of my favorite scenes though to me i don't know who wrote it but it makes no sense. But it's actually at the beginning of Batman Forever. It's the bank vault robbery. <laughs> and they figured this out. They pull a bank vault out of a skyscraper. With a helicopter. And apparently the helicopter can support it. Fine. <laughs> Which, I mean, hey, we've seen helicopters, you know, delivering goods and stuff. I mean, not, not unrealistic in that sense. But where it takes the twist that is amazing is where apparently once the vault is turned sideways, it starts filling randomly, boiling acid. Not just you acid, that guy. boiling acid. Yeah, you get that guy and he's like, oh no, it's boiling acid. <laughs> you know, and you're like, where is this acid coming from? Why would that ever be a safe thing? Like, this, I don't even, I was like, I don't even know. And then well, he like drops his glasses in there and they just disintegrate. And you're like, I guess, honestly, it sounds like somebody in the writer's room was like, yo, we need to take this up a notch. Throw anything in there. They're like, well, I mean, this thing could start filling with boiling acid. I'm like, where, where, if it's already empty and there's supposed to be money in the fall, where's the acid? <laughs> it even coming from yeah it's uh it's just amazing really what even gets crazier is however batman is capable of doing it he actually gets the vault to fall like fly back into the skyscraper right onto the exact rails that it came off of and save the day only and batman even, can do it yeah it didn't even look like there was any more acid in there <laughs> i don't know wild i mean yeah one of my favorite lines you know it was boiling acid <laughs> For better or worse, something you bring up all the time, both these movies are incredibly quotable. Incredibly. There's there's some some funny, fun lines from Forever and some cringeworthy, hilarious lines from Batman and Robin. I mean, I tried to count Mr. Freeze's puns and I lost count at like 31. Every line. These movies are incredibly quotable. To some extent, probably stuck around uh, because of that. 
both of their kind of end game things, like the Riddler and Mr. Freeze, they just felt cartoonish to me. They felt like an episode of a Saturday morning serial, like, oh no, Mr. Freeze is here. Well, what's he going to do? Of course, he's going to freeze Gotham. And you're like, <laughs> I, why? I have no idea. Yeah, you know? right. That type of stuff to me, I was like, I, I don't know. You know, it's not very strong. It, it's very, very basic writing. Like, hey, we just need a problem. Well, who, what character can we get? We can get Arnold to be Mr. Freeze. And you're like, all right, then we'll freeze Gotham. And then let's face it. I'm not even going to lie. When they do freeze Gotham, those effects are not great. They do oh, not hold up well. It looks so bad. Like some so of the ice is like, bad. literally, it looks like it's like, I, I don't know, made of something, not ice. It's like moving. I'm like, no, yeah. this is just terrible. All right, shifting gears. The music. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we have to give as a point in the favor of Batman Forever is the seal song, Kiss by a Rose. Yeah, I mean, that still gets played. Probably I still hear that on the radio. More famous than the movie itself. And I don't really know why it was made for Batman Forever, but hey, it's a great song. Seal, you killed it. I wanted to tell you this. I actually did think about this prior to this episode. And this happened to me, not the other day, but probably like three months ago. I was in the car. They played, I forget what radio station. I wish I could give them a shout out here, but they played Seal, Kissed by the Rose. And then right after that, they played MC Hammer, Can't Touch This. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. These songs were good enough that they still get played in 2021, 22. And it was amazing that they both got played for me for my own listening pleasure on the same car ride. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty um, wild. Yeah. What if did they you think just about- played Arkells? I believe I can fly. Would have freaked out. <laughs> what did you think about the uh, Batman theme in this movie? It works. I don't think there's anything to me. There's nothing that stands out as like wholly negative about it. The same way I think we talked previously about my reaction to the theme in Judge Dread. I, I did felt I felt the the in that movie. For the, you know, post-apocalyptic type world they're going for, I felt the theme was a mismatch and it didn't lend itself to the credibility of the story they were trying to tell. And here, I don't think it really detracts from it, but it's not all that memorable either. Why do you think they went away from the Burton Batman theme? Because that one is iconic, does stick with you. That's the one that most people associate with Batman. Nolan movies had a pretty solid score. Uh, They were able to reintroduce their own musical tones and all that to their movie. But it works really well, especially in Batman Begins Dark Knight. But yeah, here it felt like it fits, but it's just not that memorable. Maybe if it was me, maybe I would have stuck with that. But because visually, effects-wise, and and even thematically, they were making such a dramatic change from those, they just didn't want to carry that music over. Could have been as simple as that. Yeah, it didn't ruin the movie for me. I mean, it still works. It still felt like Batman. It's it's epic in nature, and when it plays, it's it's at the right times that it's heroic. I mean, listen, other than that, I got to kind of ask you really two major questions. Sure, let's do it. Which Batman was better? I mean, because George Clooney is probably out of all the people that ever played Batman, the biggest star. I do think, I don't remember if I ever actually saw the interview, but I heard he gave an interview where he actually like apologized for the movie. I guess for him, you know, it was a big payday. And I'm sure it was cool to play Batman. Why would you say no to that? It just didn't work out very well. I think Val Kilmer does a much better job in terms of, he looks great in the Batsuit and I thought he played a better Bruce Wayne. So I liked his dynamic of bringing in uh, Wayne Enterprises, his interactions with Edward Nigma, and his ability to mentor Robin. I think that all works much better. The only element that I thought George Clooney really brought that that I enjoyed was I did feel like he really cared about Alfred. That's a good point. So, That's valid. I would agree. It was something, but it was weird because they had the same Robin and then George Clooney. I was like, man, I don't know. I felt like Val Kilmer and Chris O'Donnell had maybe a better... So I was reading about that. Apparently, Val Kilmer and Joel Schumacher did not have the best 
best working relationship. At the same time, Val Kilmer was already contractually obligated to another film. That's why they had to cast someone and they went with Clooney because they thought he could lighten up the role a bit. Another thing that I found was fascinating is apparently Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey hated each other and did not get along at all when they were making that movie, which is weird because you don't see that. They have great chemistry together, this uh, villain duo. I guess so much to the point that Joel Schumacher swore that he would never make a movie with either of them ever again after. Wow. Oh, I did not know that. That's actually pretty crazy. Yeah. And especially because those guys obviously have had great careers on their own. I mean, you would think if they were that hard to either get along or work with, that would be something that maybe would, you know, made the tabloids or maybe affected their ability to get future work. And maybe it did slightly if Joel Schumacher, you know, had gone on to make Christopher Nolan style movies. Yeah. I don't know. That's just weird because, yeah, I mean, on screen, they're very zany, fun. They get pissed at each other, but in, in a, you know, like you said, it's good chemistry in a good way. And, and it works. So I always thought that was odd. The other thing I had to ask you is this. Each movie has a very different Batmobile. Which one did you like better? And I don't know if you thought about it until this moment, but. I'm glad you brought that up too, because there's a lot of Bat vehicles in both these movies, which was kind mm-hmm. of fun. I think I'm going to go with, I got to go with the Batman Forever Batmobile. And that's because I had that as a toy, yeah. as a kid. I, yeah, I, I always, that always had a soft spot in my too. I always like that one. Yeah, it's actually pretty dope. I mean, it's very stylized. It's very comic booky, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it is a comic book movie and they went for, you know, that kind of stylized cartoonish feel. The Batmobile is very representative of that. It actually, within the context of the world we're looking at, I think it works pretty good. It's got the big fins. It's got the flames yeah. out the back. It can drive up the side of buildings. Yeah, I know. I oh my that was... God. Jeez. <laughs> What's with Batman and having vehicles like go up the sides of buildings? I, I don't know. That, that was always a weird Thing. You're, you're going Batman forever? Yeah, I have to. For one, in Batman and Robin, he actually doesn't drive the Batmobile as he does in Forever, where we actually, there is that chase scene with Two-Face where he's in the Batmobile yeah. and he turns the wheels so he can drive out of the way of the missile and stuff. Oh my God. Second of all, <laughs> the, the Batman and Robin one has this weird kind of like glowing underframe thing going on. Yeah, I don't know. It was just, I, I wasn't as much of a fan of it. The Forever One felt like a comic book vehicle. In this sort of James Bond version of Batman, I thought it worked really well. And then I wanted to ask you one question. What are your thoughts on that epic, epic moment where Batman, Robin, and Batgirl are all coming down the street in their vehicles and they're going to take on Mr. Freeze? I mean, that was amazing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, sarcasm is a thing. You know, oh my <laughs> god, dude. It was dude, this is like Avengers before Avengers. <laughs> like, no. <nah. laughs> I again like and again, like there's a cheekiness to the similar moment in Batman Forever where Batman takes the Batwing and Robin takes the Batboat and like they're both going through and that I'm just like, I don't know what you guys were thinking, but you apparently weren't. I mean, I feel like they just needed that shot for the trailer. Just make sure this, make sure everyone knows this is what's going to happen and then people will come see it. I assume that's it. If you remember, the trailers for each movie ends with the same scene that the movies end with where Batman and Robin in Forever run into the light yeah. and they do the same thing in Batman and Robin with the three of them. I guess that's just it. They were like, we need to put these in a trailer so people go to the movies. So whatever you got to do, shoot it and use it. That makes sense. I think everyone knows what we're thinking, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Batman and Robin. Batman Forever. Which, which, what's your pick? I want to give a big thanks to just Joel Schumacher for making these movies because I still enjoy it. Maybe not in the most critical study of way, but it is still fun to watch them. And it was, you know, it was fun to watch them again. Which one did it better? I mean, obviously, I think Batman Forever is the better movie, but I'm going to give my vote to Batman and Robin. Ooh. I think 
Explain. I think it has more rewatchability in its silliness, in its cartoonishness. I will admit that I have watched Batman and Robin. Be- like between my childhood and now, I've watched Batman and Robin more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, I mean, clearly Batman Forever is a better movie. I think it has a better story. I think the Batman's better. I think the Batmobile is better. I think <laughs> almost everything about it is, is like technically better. And yet there's something about the cartoonish goofiness and zaniness of Arnold as Mr. Freeze and, you know, me just enjoying a beer being like, this is great. Fair enough. I got to go Batman and Forever. I told you as a kid, this was uh, at one point the greatest movie ever. And uh, while it is not, and it is not hold up in even as the greatest Batman movie by any means, there's a soft spot in my heart. It is something different than any other Batman movie. And I think what Schumacher was trying to do works better in this. It holds up and it creates an interesting interpretation on Batman. Yeah, I agree. I think Batman Forever definitely is the, the more, if, if Joel Schumacher was like, listen, I'm going to make a Batman movie. Batman Forever is much closer to that vision. Batman and Robin is like you said, it's almost parodying itself. It's I'd, just going for this totally different vibe, almost so such over the top silliness, but that can be fun and I enjoy it. Now, I don't know if you ever heard this, um, just tangenting it again. When Schumacher passed away a few years ago, there was a movement to release the Schumacher cut of Batman Forever, which is apparently his director's cut, you know, all the stuff that the studios cut out, which apparently was a little bit more in terms of exploring the character of Batman and Robin and, and their relationship. If Warner Brothers would do it, I think that would be amazing. Because again, I would be really curious to well, see where- I think Warner Brothers we could like, have we gave you guys the Snyder cut, so shut up. We're never giving you anything <laughs> ever again. I mean, now everybody's trying to restore the, the Snyderverse. So I'm like, I don't know. But it would be cool to see, definitely. Just because I know directors, we look back at like Superman 2, the Donner cut. You look at Blade Runner. You know, sometimes the studios meddle and to a detriment because sometimes the directors are like, hey, this, this vision is just that little bit better. But if they really do have the footage, it's kind of fun to watch both and then compare them, you know? Yeah. And we got a whole podcast about it. So- they yeah, do it right. we'll uh we'll compare at this point we'll go ahead and throw it out to our audience you know everybody listening which one do you think did it better which one do you like better you know if they could release you know another cut would you guys be interested in seeing it send us your thoughts comment on the social media posts like i said be sure to leave us a review five-star review if you can if you really think you know we're that good which we are <laughs> leave us a five-star review help us rank a little bit higher but you can find the podcast on all the major podcast directories as well as all the social media and links at filmmakerscompass.com keep the conversations going i love hearing from you guys anthony big shout out glad you listened appreciate your uh, commentary on batman since i know you're a huge fan and everybody else you know we're looking forward to hearing from you guys if you haven't yet gone to see the new the batman go check that out too and uh, we might be discussing that in some form in the future yeah, so at keep, least in, in 30 years we will yeah keep an eye out on that note you can follow me at big kid d man you can follow christian at ndcal5 we're always active on social media in our own personal spaces but we have fun discussions and uh, we'd love to get into some heated debates with everybody CP, I'm going to throw it over to you. Go ahead and take us up. Thank you for hanging out and talking about, well, everybody's favorite two Batman movies because we love Batman and need more of it in our lives. We will see you back here next week. Until then, keep watching movies.